Hello everyone and welcome to Pay It Forward, brought to you by The Fold. In each episode, we team up two women from the same sector, but at very different stages in their career. They share their biggest issues, nuggets of advice and leadership lessons. This is live mentoring and you're listening in. I'm your host, Kate Bassett, and today I'm joined by two amazing women in technology, a sector where just 5% of leadership positions are held by women. Our first guest is a true titan of tech. Jacqueline de Rojas is president of Tech UK, chair of the Digital Leaders Board and a non-exec director at Rightmove. We've paired Jacqueline up with 30-year-old Crystal Isinger, who heads up marketing strategy and operations at Google. Last year, she featured in Management Today's 35 Women Under 35 list of Britain's most talented young business women. Welcome to you both. Thank you. So a quick intro. Um, I'd love you just to each tell us why you went into tech and your proudest moment in your career so far. Jacqueline, let's start with you. Oh, my goodness. So um, I did not choose technology as a career. I actually wanted to be a newscaster on the BBC. And um, when they didn't come knocking as a poor student, (laughs) I went into technology recruitment and stayed there for two years and then ultimately went to work for my largest client who employed me because I spoke fluent German. I did my degree in Germany and they couldn't understand what their German distributor was saying. So they needed someone in the team who could talk German, not talk tech. So I think tech found me. I don't know if I really went looking for it. Crystal. So I moved into tech like Jacqueline by accident in that I had spent a few years in consulting and decided that I wanted to move in-house somewhere to really understand how to make business decisions and drive change within an organization. So the question that I asked myself when applying was, do I think this will be better? Will there be a bigger learning opportunity in the company than where I am currently now and that's always been my yardstick as to whether or not to move so also ended up there by accident and interestingly I also really wanted to be a newsreader for the BBC so similar aspirations um I've shifted that slightly now my my now ultimate goal would be to be a women's hour presenter on BBC Radio 4. It's difficult to say that there's one the moments that make me feel most proud is when I'm surrounded by brilliant people and they're connecting with each other and helping each other to work through any career challenges or life challenges or helping each other get the next job that they're looking for. So now it's around how I can open up my network and help people who may not necessarily have ended up in our industry get into it through the connections that they've made through my network. And speaking of challenges, what's keeping you awake at night? What are the big issues you're struggling with? That is a great question because recently I would say I haven't been sleeping that well because I have been really worried about work and almost, you know, that moment you fall asleep and then, or you're about to drop off to sleep and then that thing plays on your mind. So I think uh, about six months ago, I took on a new role, which was really a stretch position for me and big part of me wants to prove that that was the right decision to hire me into that role. It hadn't existed before. And the biggest challenge that I, I'm facing at the moment is just keeping going and managing all of it and knowing what to let go and how to ask for help in the right way. 
at the moment, I just wake up every day and throw myself against a brick wall, expecting the brick wall to move. And surprise, surprise, it doesn't move. <laughs> I just bruise myself. Um, Jacqueline, any advice on how Crystal can get round the brick wall or smash it? You know, I'm just reflecting on what Crystal said because it just it resonates so strongly. I, in my own experience, I certainly set my own standards impossibly high. And I mean impossibly high. Even if I got to a good place in everyone else's eyes, it wouldn't be enough for me. So I just, it's a question um, to explore whether your standards are higher than what everyone else expects. And, you know, for me, I, I figure that because my standards are so high that sometimes only getting a percentage way there is actually okay. Sometimes it's about turning the terrorists down in my head around what's working, what's not working. Because, you know, we wouldn't say to ourselves, we wouldn't say to our best friend what we would say to ourselves. So I'm wondering whether there's something around that. But I guess the other thing I would perhaps explore is the boundaries in your own world around what's acceptable to you in terms of your work-life balance and how much can you delegate in a trusting way because again that plays to setting standards high sometimes you get into this self-limiting belief that only you can get it done um, and other people can't so that's you know I've heard you say it before Crystal that giving people space to be amazing um, often turns out well sometimes there's a learn and for me there are only two sides to that coin which is success and learning and maybe there's a little bit of letting go in there. So I don't think it's a, a one-size-fits-all answer, but I think there are a number of things that, that might be worth exploring there. Any tips around how to have an honest conversation with your boss, where, Jacqueline, you have often been that boss? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's good to go in and with someone having created a, a safe space. So it's, it's creating that space of trust, where you can surface all your vulnerabilities. And I'm not suggesting that every boss is good at hearing these things, but I think it's good to go in and ask for help. And I'm, I'm saying this as a person who's terrible at asking for help. I am going to just admit that. But I think be clear about what you're asking for, which is, you know, I need help setting the boundaries, or if you were me, how would you handle this? I think those are less confrontational questions you're not going to leave dead bodies around you by asking questions like that and actually truth is most bosses slash leaders quite like answering questions and giving you solutions so probably if you ask the right question the world-class question I think you'll you might surprise surprisingly get some good answers yeah I hear that feel like I need to get some Jacqueline quotes tattooed on my body so I can like <laughs> look at them every day um but I think if I'm Given that this is a space for honesty, I think something that I often feel in some of the interviews or podcasts that you listen to around help is that sometimes the questions that you have heard, especially if you're somebody who's quite into personal development, you're quite far down that journey. So I did have that. I've had that conversation with my boss and she is open to it. And actually, there's some really great things I did to prepare for it through um, a podcast that I'd recommend people listen to called the Squiggly Careers podcast. Do you have any non-negotiables? 
it's just something where I think generationally we're in a transition period and we just need to work out a healthy relationship with technology because I think we're a little bit in like feast mode at the moment like oh my god we can work from anywhere this is the best thing ever and then the side effect is that we probably are all a bit bloated and have diabetes um and we probably need to we probably just need to work out what those boundaries are in a really hyper tech enabled world that's got so many great things about it but also just means that you're brain is constantly on and you can constantly be doing things it is so interesting this concept of being hyper vigilant that if I was your mentor or I was mentoring you on that particular question I would say right Crystal come on let's sit down and figure out where your boundaries are what's your swim lane because at the moment you're you know you're you're in the ocean and it's endless (laughs) and we need to put you in a swim lane which works for you and it's all about what serves you and what does not serve you. Jacqueline, did you suffer from overwhelm or burnout in your career? Looking after children, no husband, not much money, um, having to have childcare or nannies for the kids because I had to be at work. You couldn't, um, you didn't have this opportunity to work whenever you liked. But in a way that was also quite good because the boundaries were set for me. I was working in the office, not working outside of the office. Um, it did mean, though, I was in the office a lot or travelling to and from the office. And, and you know, I, I, I travelled a lot internationally when the children were little. And then when they became teenagers, I started to realise I needed to put some hard parental boundaries down. Otherwise, we wouldn't be negotiating bedtimes. We'd be negotiating something far worse Mm. um so yeah I mean it was it was a tough and challenging time I don't think I had any headspace to do anything other than carry on and earn the money that we needed to earn as a family but the baggage did get quite big and I did have to find a way and a number of people to help me look at my own work-life balance I am on my third and final husband who happens to be a yoga and meditation teacher thank the lord everyone should have one and it it matters it helps it gives me some headspace and it gives me some options when when life becomes very stressful so how do you switch off meditation every day not for a lot I mean I'm not going to paint a picture that I'm a saint and that I sit and on top of a mountain and meditate for a whole hour. Sometimes it's as little as 10 minutes. And do you know what? That just gives me that little bit of space, which when I am under pressure, I can go to that space and start to make rational decisions versus panic decisions. And for me, that really grounds me. I wanted to talk to you both about your style and what you wear for work and whether you think that matters. Jacqueline? It matters to me. I am going to frame this in that my role today is on a number of different boards. So I would describe myself as more of a tapas girl than a full English because I do a number of different things and I dip in and dip out versus a full-time role. Um, in one place and I think I think it matters how I feel and so I align with the environment that I'm going into 
And that gives me the opportunity to be a little bit flexible in how I decide to go to work. Sometimes I'm in you know, Doc Martins and sometimes Converse. Other times I'm in, you know, Louboutins. So it it changes. I change it up depending on who I'm with. And I, I like that alignment. I like that flexibility. Crystal, do you feel like you need to dress a certain way to be taken seriously at work? Yeah, the reality, when I started in consulting, I was just trying to look normal look like everybody else most of the time and I did have kind of 50 shades of black in my wardrobe to be honest and and then actually when I moved to Google I think I went too far in the other direction in that I thought oh it's Google it's really chilled it's very cool and probably was too casual this is a topic that I'm really passionate about because I think there's one side of coin that can say don't be too conceited in how you put yourself together and you should just you know be your authentic self you should be able to turn up to work wherever wearing whatever you want to wear and actually I I I agree with that but I just think it's really important to be intentional about it and to know that every thing that you wear everything you carry we've talked about this before Kate is actually leaking information about who you are and if you want to help yourself um and help people to know who you are and ask you those questions then be intentional in how you dress there's a quote from mark jacobs which was um dress for the weather you want not the weather you have and my version of that is dress for the mood you want to be in not the mood Mm. that you're in Mm. so sometimes if there's a morning where i'm feeling like i don't have that much confidence or i'm a bit sluggish or whatever it is i'll deliberately wear things that will put me into that mood like a bright color or something that sparks joy for me i totally agree that it's not about anyone else um, in terms of what you decide to put on. It's about how it makes you feel Mm -hmm. and how it makes you able to bring your best game and become the best version of yourself in that moment. That's really important. Yeah. And it sounds like I'm um, kind of being sponsored to say this, which I'm not. But for example, the fold jacket that I'm currently wearing, I have actually described it as my... um, kind of superwoman cloak because there are those items of clothing that you put on and you just instantly feel like this is me for me personally I love the softness of the color but I love the structured nature of it and I think that to your point around like what do I want to give off or I want people to know that I've got my shit together that I'm structured that I'm a safe pair of hands and I'm competent but also that there's a softness which reflects my personality which comes through in the color which is why I love it. So make those very deliberate choices around your personal brand. 87% of communication is non-verbal. So it matters how you turn up visually. Absolutely. Um, I'm curious with both of you as to what has motivated you throughout your career and into these roles. You know, my parents literally sacrificed everything to be able to give me a really brilliant start in life that they didn't. Um, And as a result, I feel a huge... um, not a burden, but I do feel like a, a really big weight to show that, you know, the arthritis that my dad has through working on his hands and knees for all those years and um, can't be undone was worth it. And same with my mum, you know, like she's she um, works at the airport um, and my dad is a builder and they didn't really have anything. Like when my, my mum is Indian and my dad... His father um, escaped from a, a concentration camp and it was an immigrant in, in Manchester. So I guess having that 
work ethic and know also knowing the struggle that they both went through to set me up for success um, makes me feel like I really want to um, show them that it was worth it. But I think now that's a lazy excuse for a purpose if I'm really honest with myself because I know that they're proud of what I've achieved and that I don't need to do anything else. And so I think I need to think harder about why what it is that's driving me so hard. I mean, a mentor may say like, well, what are you trying to run away from? Or what are you trying to achieve? And what is enough? And I think that's a really good territory for me to start understanding as a person, like what does good look like to you? Jacqueline, you know, back to you. I, uh, what did good enough look like for you early on in your career? Because you were very um, motivated by your family in a very different way, weren't you? Yeah, I think I probably gave myself the label of survivor when I was four. You know, I, I, my Chinese father was incredibly violent. My mother had a black eye every week. Um, we ran away a few years later and she remarried my stepfather, which was good for her because taking on a wife with two half Chinese children was not an easy thing in the 60s. So my stepfather stepped in, but he was tricky because he was overly interested in me and that was you know made me very I mean I was already a child that wanted to be invisible anyway from the violent um, scenario and then it forced me to be even more invisible because I just didn't want any attention at home but school was my savior it was my safe haven and I thrived there I loved the structure but when I came home at age 16 with my O-level results, GCSE results, and my stepfather, who was a carpenter, um, he snatched the envelope out of my hands and said, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to show me up? Because I got rather good grades in my in my exams. And honestly, it was probably a fork in the road at that moment, which said, I'm going to show you how much potential I can unlock. And I have leveraged that scenario, him as a role model, not a terribly good one, but that moment has made me want to be the best I can possibly be for my whole career. And actually, when I got my CBE, I had a little replica made, and I presented him with it. And for me, that was sort of squaring the circle. It Mm. was, you know, the business was finished at that point. Closure in many ways. Lots of closure. And by the way, I'm his main, you know, main carer, biggest supporter. What I will say is that I'm also quite programmed to work really hard and to achieve higher than I would set a standard for anybody else. It's just who I am, I think. Would I like to unprogram myself from that? Not sure. I think it's sort of part of me. I like to strive. I like that almost reaching for the stars and the impossible because you know what if you do reach for them and you get part way there that's also really magical I really like the description that sometimes used about people who neurodiverse people um whereby they say if you if you think of people as a tapestry, if you pull on one shred over here, you don't know what it will unravel. And so often I think the things that we think of as our weak points or Achilles heels perhaps are also the things that allow us to strive for greatness or are extremely resilient or the, you know, the 
they're the things that fuel your superpowers. So there's definitely somewhere in between. But I think without those spikes, whether it be work ethic or hard work, that you don't, you kind of almost don't want to wish for anything else because you don't know what other bits of your personality that yield amazing results could be the kind of mother you are or partner you are or person in the community that you are. So it's, I guess, managing your managing your energy, but also appreciating that if you lose that thing, you don't know what else will unravel. During those sort of tough moments um, in your career or in your personal life, who do you tend to turn to for advice? Where do you get that support from? These days, wherever I can get it. But actually, um, you know, I'm listening to Crystal this morning thinking, wow, what an extraordinary woman you are and what clarity of thought you've got. And I love the fact that you are constantly developing yourself and looking out to towards other people for inspiration. I, I, honestly, I think that's that's brilliant. I wish I could do more of that. I am, though, surrounded in tech by what we call the sisterhood or my tribe. And there are so many people, not just the sisterhood, but man ambassadors as well, who are just so supportive when when I'm in a tricky situation or I, you know, can't get something done or I just have a question, then there are, I'm going to say at least 50 people I could turn to in a very trusted space and have a conversation about something. And that is what sets us apart in tech in the UK, I think. I'm not quite sure it's the same in Silicon Valley, but there's a lot of people who, if you just reached out, if Crystal reached out to me, um, you know, there would be no question that I wouldn't be there for her. And I'm sure it would be reciprocated. So I think that's the difference. There is a huge generosity in our sisterhood here in, in the UK. And I love that. Do you, have you found it easier to ask for help? I'm terrible at asking for help. Still? Yes. Firstly, honestly, I don't see the problem a lot of the time. And I I always think it's mine to solve. And then sometimes my head explodes. And I only realise that when, you know, I'm in a meditative state or my husband will look at me and say, hmm, what's going on? And then it all pours out. Mm. So I'm not great great at that. I recognise it in other people. I'm full of great advice. (laughs) Crystal? In terms of who I turn to for advice, I think my honest answer is everyone and no one because I also have a wealth of brilliant men and women who I can reach out to through some of the brilliant communities that I'm part of, like the Marketing Academy, like the Wackle Future Leaders Award group and within work and friends. And so I have a wealth of people that I could reach out to and really trust and believe their advice the reason I say everyone and no one is because like Jacqueline I also feel like the answer is always within yourself to solve it and so sometimes I feel too smart for my own good and that I think I've I've thought about this and I know what I need to do and I need to fix it and I need to do this and therefore I can hear what other people are saying but generally I I probably don't don't take it in or I still feel ultimately accountable in some way friends are a huge source of it it doesn't have to be a mentor but friends can friends or your partner can often tell the warning signs of when you're at that Mm. point before you can I think that's also a really good point because mentor is such a big word sometimes we get overwhelmed and daunted by the prospect of asking for one or being one or if someone says will you be my mentor it's like is this now a lifelong thing it's very I think it's really 
unhelpful, doesn't always serve us. I think what Crystal is talking about is sometimes we just have people around us that, that we trust and are going to give us a little, you know, space for us to be heard. You know, one of the things that's really important as a human is that someone listens to us. We don't necessarily always need answers. We just need some space to be heard and then maybe some space to feel significant. And maybe it's just those two things mm. that we're looking for. And by the way, not one mentor is not necessarily good for every question or every issue. And that's also something that, that concerns me a bit because I think having a few people you can go to is almost better than just having one formal mentor because that could be a barrier to surfacing all the things that are on your mind. Yeah, absolutely. I think mentors are often seen as a silver bullet within organisations. Like, we're going to invest in a mentoring scheme. And sometimes I think there's a little bit of snobbery, if we're honest, that goes on that somebody has to be a, a CEO or they have to be a certain tenure within the business or within the industry to be of value. And actually, often it's about getting a different perspective. It's about knowing that you're with somebody who who cares about you. So different people at different times for different issues um, and being very clear about what your specific challenge is. Yeah. Um, and maybe we need to think about rebranding the term yeah. mentor. Just to sum up now, it'd be great to get um, the one thing you're really aiming to do over the next 12 months and your best piece of practical advice for others. Jacqueline. Gosh, what I'm aiming to do in the next 12 months. Well, it is my goal um, to lose 20 pounds in 2020. So <laughs> I've got this... this um, balance that I need to find in my life, which, you know, when you get older, I'm 57, I think it's really important to make space for your health and your well-being, both mentally and physically. Otherwise, you're going to have to make space for ill health later on. And I, you know, I see so, so many people who are not honouring the body that they have been given. And I feel very strongly that I want to be really positive and energised and achieving even more as I move into, you know, my 60s, which I believe is a new 30. But anyway, let's let's debate that on another podcast. But I think that's where I would like to go. So it's not just about losing £20 in 2020. That's almost a metric or a metaphor for saying, I want to honour body that I've been given and I really want to make sure that I'm doing the best that I can for myself including my mental health as well so I'm excited about that and and I have to say I've learned a lot from Crystal this morning because there is also something about it doesn't matter what age the people are that you're working with listening to learning from in fact the younger generation are people that we can learn from especially as we we walk through this technological opportunity uh, that, that stands before us. So I think that's really important to me. In terms of um, best advice going forward, I would say look after yourself first, mentally and physically, and then make sure that you are generous with other people because reaching out the hand of generosity in this industry really matters. There are so many people with so much opportunity and potential that we need to encourage 
more women, more diversity, more inclusion in our industry. Without that, we are going to create a world that doesn't work for everybody. And I, I am really concerned that if an algorithm now decides whether you get that job interview, that mortgage, or you know that, jo- that place at university, if we aren't clear about the fact that we need diverse technological teams building those algorithms, we are going to leave people behind. And that worries me. If you looked at the current state of our, how many CEOs are there in the in the FTSE 100 who are women? There are six. And frankly, if a machine looked at that and said, okay, what that says to me is we shouldn't employ women at the top. And machines are now deciding how we organize our world. We need to be really careful that we're not operating on a biased set of data. So that's why I think it matters that you look after yourself and that we look after each other in this industry. Yeah, and I actually think there's no debate about whether 60s are the new 30s, especially if you have read or think about the concept of the 100-year life now, right? It's actually the same point that 30s would be in previous life, ex- previous oh, generations' that. life expectancy. Yes. So I 100% agree with you that 60s are the new 30. So what I'd like to do in the next year is to set some boundaries and make sure that I look after myself because we're going to be on this planet for a long time. And it's not a race, right? I, I want to be fit and healthy as I enter my new 30s, I in my 60s, because there's a lot of time to do brilliant and wonderful things. And I won't be any use to um, my family or an organization that I'm in or my community if I'm um, not in a good mentally and physically fit place. I booked last night a week uh, writing retreat so that I can fulfill my... Um, vision that we've talked about previously, Kate, of writing a book, which I'm very excited about. Um, but overall, we'd just like to come out of it alive and healthy and with some clear boundaries that mean that I can be um, mentally and physically fit. In terms of my biggest or best piece of practical advice, so don't get disheartened by not saying that you manage a massive team. Think about how you can show leadership and there's just so many opportunities to do that inside and outside of work. And women are really good at that whole soft power capability, and we should leverage that. Definitely. And, you know, use it when you're applying for things, use it on your CV. If you're influencing a group of people, a a group of 50 people, say that you led a team of 50 people, because that is the reality of it, using that soft power to get people who are working for you outside of their day job Mm. because they're inspired by your vision is incredibly powerful and a massive asset. So no, you don't manage a team, but you're leading a team of 50 to achieve whatever it is. And I think just repositioning leadership in your mind um, and demystifying being a manager is, um, is is a really helpful pivot that I made mentally about a year and a half ago that... Mm. So it's not just about how many people's holiday forms you sign off, how many people you um, formally manage. It's actually about impact and influence. Absolutely. So we've come to the end of our Pay It Forward podcast. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this episode and a huge thanks to our fabulous, talented, honest, vulnerable two women in tech, Jacqueline and Crystal. Thank you very much. Thank Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Pay It Forward. If you loved it, make sure you subscribe and please rate and review us to spread the word and pay it forward. For any links and key takeaways, check out our session notes.